Well, good morning. Good morning. We, uh, I'm Pastor Brian. Great to be here with you today. I'm excited to finish up our series on culture wars, the book of 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's the last chapter in Peter's first letter. Uh, and so we're going to cover that today. And remember, next week we start a new series on the prodigal. We did a prodigal son series 10 years ago. How many of you were here and remember that? Anybody remember that? Oh, the Yoders, of course. The Yoders remember that. Yeah, not a lot of you do. I, as we were praying and thinking about, hey, what do we want to do after, after the First Peter series, uh, I just couldn't get the prodigal son series out of my head. I remember doing it, ten, I was here, I remember doing it 10 years ago, and I, it was one of the most impactful sermon series I think we've ever done here at Alpine, and I'm excited for it again. It's going to be a little different. In fact, we couldn't really even find the recordings from 10 years ago. I don't know why. They're around here somewhere. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit different, but we're going to take a look next week at the prodigal son, and then the week after, we're going to look at the father. Spoiler alert, the father's the main character of the story. And then in week three, we're going to look at the elder son in the story. So there's these three characters in the, in the story, the prodigal, the, the father, and, the, and then the older son who represents the Pharisees, like religious people. So there's just something to learn in each of them, but it's a four-week series. So in week four, we're going to talk about the, the forgotten character in the story, the pig. That's a joke. We're not going to talk about the pig. That's what one of the pastors brought up. They're like, it's a four-week series, so we're going to talk about the pigs in week four. No, the prodigal son ends up eating with the pigs, if you don't know the story. So that, I'll remember not to tell that joke again. Apparently, it wasn't very funny. Uh, no, in week four, we're going to talk about how to handle the prodigal in your life. If there's someone in your life who's lost and wandering and a prodigal, we're going to talk about that in week four. So it's going to be a great series. I really encourage you, anytime we start a new series, it's a great opportunity to invite someone to come. And so I encourage you to invite someone to come uh, for our prodigal series starting next week. Now, speaking of that, I just, I learned a couple weeks ago that somebody, I don't remember who it was, but an Alpiner was talking to me a couple weeks ago and said I was, I was saying something to a friend at work, and I said that I go to Alpine Church, and she said, oh, you guys are doing the Culture War series. So she heard about it, and what, what, the, what this non-Alpiner thought is that we were just trying to get all you guys stirred up to pick fights out in our culture. That's what they thought Culture Wars was all about, and maybe some of you have been coming every week waiting for us to preach that sermon to give you permission to go out and be a jerk on Facebook. Pick a fight with somebody and be a jerk. Well, I hate to disappoint, we're not going to do that today either, because it turns out as we've been reading First Peter, Peter's, have you noticed, Peter's comments, Peter's statements week after week in the midst of a, of a church 2,000 years ago, the early church that was only about three decades old, that was already facing culture wars in their time, Peter's surprising um, message to the church was not to be a jerk. His message was to love your neighbors. That his message was even though you're going to be a foreigner, that you're living like a foreigner in this world, which how many of you feel a little bit just more and more like a foreigner? Like what in the world is going on? Do I even belong in this world? I know that's me, man. I'm in this, you turn on the news, you see what's going on, you're just like, this is not my home. That's Peter's whole point. This is not your home. But his, his, 
his point is you're going to end up suffering because you're, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you'll end up suffering. And his point isn't to fight back. His point is to love. His point is to live in this world as a foreigner, as an alien, but to love people that you disagree with. It's to, it's to pray for them. It's to, it's to be a light to them. It's not to be a jerk to them. So just in case you missed it in these last five weeks, I just wanted to make sure you, you heard it one more time. The message for us as Christians 2,000 years later is to love this world that is not our home. And so now in chapter five, as we turn to chapter five, I'll, I'll just be honest with you that when we were prepping this series, this was the one chapter I wasn't really sure what we were gonna do with it. Because the, the chapter starts off, Peter starts off giving advice to elders in the church. He's giving advice to spiritual leaders in the church. And I thought, well, that's not really a message for the whole church. That's good for us, our pastoral team. But it's not really a message for the whole church. And so as we studied this, 1 Peter 5, because what we do here is we don't, we don't come to a series like this. We don't come to the Bible. We don't, and I hope you don't either. We don't come to the Bible and say, well, here's what I believe, and I want to fit that into what I read. That's not how we do it. What we do is we come to the Bible, we read God's word, we study it, we let it speak to us, and then we, pull, we say, what, do I, what, what is this speaking to us? Not, what do I want it to speak to us? No, we say, what, what is it saying to us? And so as we did that with chapter five, we ended up discovering something that was really cool. So I'm standing here today excited to preach today's message because it's gonna be a little bit of an old-fashioned Bible study this morning, because we saw a parallel in this chapter, 1 Peter 5, we saw a parallel all the way back to the, first, to the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. Remember, Peter was there. When we say 1 Peter, we're talking about Peter, the, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we saw this parallel between these two stories, and that's what we're going to be doing today. Here's our big idea today as we talk about final battle instructions. Peter reminds the church that the battle with our culture is not a losing effort. And 30 years earlier, Jesus was the one reminding Peter. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some writings from A.D. 33 on one side, on the left side of the screen this morning. We're going to take a look at Jesus' instructions to his disciples all the way back in Luke 22. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open to two different places this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke 22, which happened around A.D. 33, right before Jesus went to the cross. And then we're also going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, which if we were to put a date on it, our best guess is that would be about 63 A.D. So 33 A.D. on the one hand and 63 A.D. on the other hand. It's a 30-year span between these two stories. And what you're going to see, we're going to learn three lessons today that Peter first learned at the Last Supper. So let me just catch you up on the Last Supper. Remember the Last Supper? And by the way, we're going to take communion together today, which is a, which is a um, celebration of that Last Supper. So this, is just, this all worked out perfectly. We didn't even plan it like this. It just happened to work out perfectly. At the Last Supper, Jesus is gathering with his disciples. Peter was there. And he's, he's kind of giving them his last little pep talk his last instructions to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Now, they didn't realize he was going to go to the cross. They didn't realize he was going to die on the cross. They didn't really know this stuff was, they were still trying to put all that together. It was a little bit unbelievable to them because 
Remember, the Jewish people, when Jesus came, thought that Jesus was a revolutionary and was going to be defeating the Romans, and Jesus ends up hanging on a cross, which was a Roman, Roman way of taking someone's life, a criminal's life. So all this stuff is, so again, if you want to think about culture wars, the original culture wars, Jesus fought in 33 AD. So there Jesus is with his disciples, with his 12 disciples at the Last Supper, and he's giving them his final pep talk. Now before we take a look at those words and the lessons that we're going to learn today, I just want to know how many of you can think back 30 years? Raise your hand if you can think back 30 years. Go ahead, I'll wait. Some of you can, some of you are old enough to, boy, that, that kind of math even makes sense. Like, I remember, this morning on the way to church, I was thinking back 30 years ago, because I think this is, I really think this is kind of what Peter was doing as he penned these words in chapter 5 that we're about ready to read. I think, again, you'll see why, I think he was thinking back to what happened when Jesus was giving the pep talk at the Last Supper. So on the way to church this morning, I thought back, I thought back 30 years ago. I was two years old. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of you are like, what's everyone laughing at? That guy looks about 30. No, I was 20 years old. I was in college. And I remember I was kind of at the point in my life where I was thinking about what am I going to do next after, after undergrad? What am I going to do next? And I, what I had on the table, I was a math major, so I was, I was either going to go to grad school in math and get a master's, or I was going to go into ministry, go into missions. That was what was on the table. And I remember at that time in my life, I remember how hard that was for me to, to make such a big decision in my life. And, and my dad, I'm in particular, this, this is one of my fond stories of my dad. I'll never forget this. My dad actually came over to the college where I was studying. We stood in front of the, I still remember this, we stood in front of the library and he gave me his most memorable pep talk. He said, he said son, whatever you do, you're going to be great at it. That was his pep talk for me. He said, whatever you do, you're going to be great at it. You can, you can do anything you want. You, I, he said, I, I believe you, if you want it to be, you could be the president of the United States. That's the kind of faith that my dad had in me. I, it, was, it was really memorable. But he said, but one thing I'll tell you, and my dad was always good at this. He never forced us into anything. He, was just, he's, he is to this day just such a great dad. But he said, the one thing I would say is if you want to get a master's, get it now because you're not going to go back. You will not go back and get it. That's what, that was his, his advice. He said, if you're good, you don't have to get it, but he says, if you want to get it, you should go get it now because you'll never go back and do it. So I did. I actually went on and got my master's in math and then after that ended up going into ministry. But I remember that pep talk from my dad from 30 years ago and how memorable that was. It's interesting because now my son is 19 years old and my son's in a really similar place. He's thinking about what he wants to do after college and, and what God is going to have him do. He's thinking about going into, ironically, he's thinking about going into politics. I wasn't thinking about going into politics, but my dad said I could be the president if I wanted to be. And I told AJ, AJ, you could be the president if you want to be. I believe you could be the president if you want to be, but please don't want to be. <laughs> so, Again, with that context, and maybe parents, you can talk with your kids today about where you were 30 years ago. But Peter, I think, as Peter is writing these words that we're, gonna, we're about to look at in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, I think Peter is thinking back to what Jesus said at the Last Supper. And there are three lessons that Peter passes on to the church 
in 63 AD that Jesus had passed on to his disciples in 33 AD. Here's the first lesson. To approach the battle, this culture war, with humility. Not to approach it with anger, not to approach it with hatred. I hope you've picked up on this, but to approach it with humility. That even when you're going against people who, who, with whom you disagree, people who are speaking against God's word, we still approach it with humility. Here's what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Luke 22, verses 24 to 26. The disciples began to argue among themselves about who would be greatest among them. Now pause a second. I want to make sure you understand the context. Jesus had just said to them, he just said, one of you is going to betray me. And they didn't know who it was. So literally, like two verses before this, they're fighting over who is going to be the Judas. They didn't have that term yet. But they're fighting over who's going to be the betrayer. And I'm sure Peter was like, it is not going to be me. I am not going to be me. And then what happened, like literally like two minutes later, they turn, they go from fighting over who's going to betray Jesus to who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how funny that is? I think sometimes we put Bible characters up on a pedestal, but man, when I look at stuff like this, I'm like, it's just so, these are guys I can totally relate to. These are be like my golfing buddies. I could completely see how these guys, this is like your pastoral team sitting around the table on Monday morning, and, and we're, we're, just competi- we're just competitive, and I see this in these guys. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, not me, and it turns into who's going to be the greatest. And so it's in that context that Jesus tells them this lesson. He says, in this world, this culture, the kings and great men lorded over their people. But he says, among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. That's Jesus. These are like Jesus' last words to them. The greatest among you will be a servant. That's how you should interact in this culture. That's how you should interact in the world. You should be a humble servant. This is, these were Jesus' marching orders. And so Peter, again, I think, I, I, I find it hard to believe that Peter didn't have this story in mind as he writes these words in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. He says, all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You know, the word there, dress yourselves in Greek, literally the word there is to put on a servant's apron. Does that sound familiar? That's literally what Jesus did at the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus, he gets there with his disciples, and they're having this final Passover meal together. And Jesus got up from the table and he, and he took off his robe and he put on that servant's apron. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he one by one started washing his disciples' feet. And all, all the while he's saying to them, you're not better than me. So if I'm washing your feet, you should be willing to wash someone else's feet. Hey, you're not better than me, Peter. So if I'm washing your feet, you should be willing to wash someone else's feet. Think about this. Jesus even washed Judas' feet that day. He washed everyone's feet. When you think about that person at work or that person in your neighborhood or the person that you watch on TV that just gets under your skin, I've got some of those people, I'm not gonna say any names, 
that I got some of those people. I've got, there's some people on TV, TV personalities that their worldview is so opposite God's word, it drives me nuts. Would you wash those people's feet? Is that your attitude toward them? I'll be honest, it's not my attitude toward them. But see, this is what Peter's saying, is that should be your attitude, that you should approach the battle with humility, that you should dress yourselves in humility like Jesus did as you relate to one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter was the guy that it took 30 years to learn this lesson because <laughs> if you know Peter's story, Peter was a hothead. Peter was, Peter was the guy that if he came to Alpine Church, probably the first couple of years, we'd be like, Peter, you can't say that on Facebook. Like, please stop. And we've had people like that in 20 years here at Alpine Church, people who come to faith and have so much zeal and they love the Lord so much, but, but they kind of cross over that boundary sometimes. They pick fights with people. I still remember when I was in high school, I was, I was on the football team my junior year, and and they found out that I, was a, that I was a Christian, and so they would have me pray before the games on Friday night. And so they, they'd say, Brian, it's time for you to pray. So I'd, we'd, we'd all take a knee and we'd pray. We weren't a very good football team. But the first, the first four weeks, I would do this, and I would pray, and we were 4-0. and oh. We were 4-0. and oh. And so, so that next week, one of the guys, Dennis, I still remember his name. Dennis was his name. I had been kind of discipling him. And he came to faith in Jesus. Dennis came to faith in Jesus. Isn't that cool? And so week five, Dennis came up to me before the game. He said, I want to pray. I want to pray before the game. I was like, awesome. Yeah, do it. You can do it. So we took the knee before the game, and, and the captain of the team looked and said, Brian, go ahead and say the, say the prayer. I said, actually, Dennis is going to say the prayer today. And they were like, oh, all right. So Dennis is over there. He's nervous. He takes a knee. Everyone takes a knee. And Dennis prays this prayer. It went something like this. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the flowers in the field. And, the, and he prays this really cheesy, flowery prayer. And he said, Lord, may the best team win. You don't pray, may the best team win. <laughs> and I remember he said this prayer. And I mean, it was, a good, it was a good effort. He said this prayer and he said amen. And I'm telling you, as people, were, as his teammates were leaving the locker room that day, they're like, you know, giving him all this trouble for this stupid prayer that he just prayed. And, and after about a minute of it, he couldn't handle it. He starts cussing them all out as they're running out of the... That would have been Peter. Just, I mean, just fresh and new and just, he's just still a little bit rough around the edges. That was Peter. Peter was the guy that in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas led the Roman soldiers in to arrest Jesus, Peter takes out his sword and he cuts the guy's ear off and Jesus looks at him and is like, you moron, what are you doing? And he goes down and, he, and he, Jesus grabs the guy's ear and puts it back and heals him. Jesus goes all Mr. Potato Head on this guy, this Roman soldier. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? This, this, so see, this is the contrast. Is Peter's pulling the sword out, cutting someone's ear off, and Jesus is healing him. He's healing the guy who's the other soldiers soon enough are going to be nailing him to the cross. Jesus was the guy who hangs on the cross and looks at the Roman soldiers and he prays for them. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That's the heart we need to have. Peter learned it slowly over time. Over 30 years, Peter learned it. It wasn't natural to him. For some of you, it's not natural for you. You want to, you want to fight. 
you want to pull the sword out. And, and Pete, what Peter's saying is, no, don't. I tried that, it didn't work. Approach the battle with humility. You can't win someone to the God of love with hatred. You can't win someone to the God of kindness by being a jerk. And so even in our war, even in these culture wars, we need to remember to love the people who are lost. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is to remember that Satan is the real enemy, not culture. It's so easy to look at that person that, we, that just drives us nuts and to, and to be mad at them and to curse them, but we need to remember that Satan is the real enemy. That's what Jesus said. Luke 22, 31 to 32, he says, Simon, Simon, that was Peter's name, Simon, He says, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. This is so interesting. Here's what's going on here. Sifting like wheat means this. Like if you're sifting wheat, you're sifting it to get the wheat kernels, the good stuff, and to separate it from the bad stuff. That's what sifting meant. And so what Jesus is saying here is, this is so interesting, Jesus is saying that Satan has requested, Satan has come to God to request to test his disciples, to test his followers. Now, this had happened before in the Old Testament, the book of Job. The book of Job, Job has everything going for him. He's rich. He's got tons of great kids. He's got land. He's got cattle. He's got a beautiful wife who loves and supports him. He's got, he's, he's got a you know, thinning head of hair. He's got everything going for him. <laughs> Everything, some of you aren't paying attention. He's got everything going for him. And then Satan comes to God and he says, I want to test him. I want to test Job because I think he's going to curse you. I think he's only following you because of all the good stuff you've given to him. And so I want to test him. And so go read it for yourself. God says, okay, I'll let you test him. Now, by the way, read Job. Job passed the test. But that's what's going on here. That's, that's exactly what's going on here. Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He's talking about all the disciples. Satan has asked, he's come to me and he's requested to sift you, to test, to put your faith to the test. That's what a culture war is. He has asked to put your faith to the test. And look at Jesus' response. If Jesus said, no way, I won't let you test my servant. Now that's not his response, is it? His response is, And so I've prayed for you that you would pass the test. The truth is the culture war that we're going through is not unlike the culture war that Peter went through. It's a war that will test our faith. We learned this in week one. It's a war that will test our faith. And God's good with that. God's okay with that. God will allow the enemy to test your faith. Young people, I want you to hear this. God will allow the enemy to test your faith. Will you pass the test? Jesus said, I'm praying that you pass it, Peter. I hope you'll pass it. And when we read his words in 1 Peter 5, 30 years later, we see that he did pass the test. Peter said it in his own words this way. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around. I love his imagery. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. We have some friends who have some friends who have a bunch of exotic animals up in the mountains of Montana. I know it's bizarre, but just bear with me here. 
So we went, on, we went on a trip up there with him, and we got to see this guy. He's kind of, he's back in this canyon, and he's got a big old bear, like a big old grizzly bear. He's got panthers, and he's got, one of the things, he's got this huge lion. And I remember, I remember standing there in front of this cage of this lion, and the lion kind of looks up at us, and all of a sudden, the lion lets out a roar. And I'm telling you, I almost wet my pants. <laughs> It was so scary. I don't know if you've ever heard of the real roar of a lion. This is what Peter is saying, is Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. AJ was little at the time, and they also had a black panther in another cage. And as we were walking by, this panther locks onto AJ, locks his eyes onto AJ, and just starts prowling back and forth but his eyes locked on AJ the whole time. Man, it was scary. In fact, the guy, the owner's like, oh yeah, AJ, you're lunch for this guy. <laughs> like that's what, this, that's what the instincts of this panther was leading it to do is it was, it, was, it was locked onto him and if it wasn't for that cage, man, AJ would have been, he would have been lunch. And this is what Peter says. Peter says this is how the enemy is. This is how Satan works in our culture that he's, prowling around, looking for someone to, to devour. And so he says, stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. Stand firm against the enemy. Now, Paul talks about this. This might remind you of Ephesians 6, verse 12. Paul says it like this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So put in, fill in the blank with that name of that neighbor or that coworker or that person on TV that you can't stand. He says, we're not fighting our war against that guy. But he says, no. We're fighting against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So think about Putin. And Putin is not the main enemy. As evil as he is, and I think he's evil. I just do. I think he's crazy, and I think he's evil. And it's not even him. The enemy, Satan, is behind that. And not just him. Satan is behind every false pretense in this culture. Satan is behind every false narrative. Satan is behind everything that goes against God's word. Satan is behind that. That's the prince of this world. That's Satan. So our battle, our battle is not a flesh and blood battle. Remember that. Our battle is a spiritual battle. And that's why if you go back to Ephesians 6, that's the section in scripture that talks about the, the armor of God, that we should put on the armor of God because we need to fight a spiritual battle, battle with spiritual weapons. Weapons like God's word, weapons like your faith, weapons like your mind, your, your, the helmet of salvation that protects our mind, weapons like prayer. That's how we fight in this battle. Young people, I want you to hear this. Man, I hope you develop a, a, a relationship with God. I hope that you develop a prayer life. I hope that you develop a love for God's word because that's the thing that in the next generation is gonna keep a remnant, is people who are ready to stay strong in the faith, to stand firm against the real enemy who's the devil, who's Satan. It's not just about fighting this world and their logic with, with weapons of this world. It's about fighting with spiritual weapons because Satan is the real enemy, not our culture. Let's keep that in mind. And then there's just one more lesson that, that both Jesus and Peter bring out, and it's that we need to trust God for ultimate victory. Here's how Jesus said that in 33 AD. He said, you have stayed with me in my time of trial and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, 
Now I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Remember, he's sitting there at the Last Supper. He's actually having this Last Supper with them. So he's looking at this table that they're sitting at. And what he says is, but my father has granted you a place at, at a different table, at a table in heaven. And he says, you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now that had to be so confusing for Peter and the other disciples when he said something like that and they're probably all like fired up. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be so cool. And then not long after this, Last Supper, Jesus is hanging on the cross and Jesus dies. But remember what the ultimate victory is about. The ultimate victory is not about this world. It's not about this life. It's about another kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. The ultimate victory is an unseen kingdom. Just like the battle is unseen, so the victory is unseen. The victory is something that is going to be in another realm, in another kingdom. And so Peter had that in mind as he wrote these words in verses 10 and 11. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. And so, after you have suffered for a little while, remember, Peter doesn't say you're not going to suffer. Peter just says, after you've suffered for a little while, you're going to suffer. That's the very first thing we learned in this series, is that suffering is inevitable. He says, after you suffer for a little while, look what he says, God will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Peter said the ultimate victory is ours. We will win the ultimate victory. Listen, no matter what happens here. No matter what happens here. We will win the ultimate victory because the ultimate victory is eternal. It's not temporal. It's not earthly. The ultimate victory is eternal. And it's important to remember that because... Not two years after Peter writes these words in 63 AD, Peter himself ends up being martyred for his faith. Peter himself dies. So again, a non-Christian could look at these words and say, well, you were wrong. You weren't supported. You weren't restored. You weren't strengthened. You ended up dead, Peter. No, that's not true. Peter ends up alive. Peter ends up just like, he, just like Jesus had promised him. The Father has granted me a kingdom, and now I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and all that came true for Peter. Peter won the ultimate victory because he trusted God to the end. Even though he started off kind of a hothead, even though he started off kind of being a jerk in his first shot at having culture wars, he he kind of failed the test in his first try, but 30 years later, Peter ended up winning the ultimate victory because he trusted Jesus to the end. And I just want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to trust. Let's continue to trust God in the midst of these culture wars. I think it's going to get crazier. I think it's just going to get crazier. I think it's going to get harder to be a Christian in the years ahead. I think it's going to get a lot harder to be a Christian in the years ahead. My prayer for us, my prayer for my family, for my kids, for you and for your families, your kids, my prayer is that we would stand firm. My prayer is that we would, we would stand with God and his word even when it means that we have to stand against our culture. And that's what God wants for all of us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I praise you, Jesus, that you won the victory for us, God, that 2,000 years ago you went to the cross 
and you died on the cross for us, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice for, for us, people like us who are imperfect, who are unholy. Thank you that you did that, and thank you that, that you made a way for us to win this ultimate victory. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength. I pray that you would give us the courage to, to, be, a, to be a voice, to be a light in our culture. God, we're living here in this world like, like strangers, like foreigners. But yet, God, you've put us here. And some of us are currently enduring a test, a test of our faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to pass that test. God, that we would stand for your truth in your way in a culture that mocks it, in a culture that gaslights you and your word. Lord, I pray that we would, we would stand strong and that you would get the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.